I am a fan of the Poison Ivy approach where it's like you're already a sort of like mad botanist and then also you get the powers of a dryad. Like who's going to complain about that? It's like serendipity itself. Like it's awkward if you get powers that don't have anything to do with your general vibe. (laughs) It's like, well, I'm trying to research cryogenics, but now I have like teleportation powers and that just feels thematically inconsistent. Inconsistent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like I guess I can go to Antarctica and take some readings real quick, but I I don't know how this helps me long term. Yeah, and how am I supposed to use this for crime. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the OS Podcast, where I am joined by Red. Hello. Where we are doubly celebrating milestones for for one, this is episode 50 of the podcast, and Two is that we have just crossed the fabled threshold of two million subscribers since our last episode. Double milestone. To celebrate, I have acquired what is called cheese tea. Despite the name, I have been informed by the internet that it doesn't taste disgusting, but... I've decided that the responsible thing to do would be to wait until we were recording my reaction to, to actually try it. So I've just been sitting here watching this like tall drink of something mango with something worrying on the top. Red, um, I love this for you because this was a trend like two years ago, and I really like that you're just getting around to it. Why the hell would I follow a trend at the beginning of 2020? Who do you think I am? How blue of you to say. All right, hmm. any good? <laughs> Well, the top part is definitely some sort of cream cheese mixture that doesn't really go well with anything underneath it. I'm assuming, because I didn't get any of the (laughs) underneath stuff in that first (laughs) drink. Uh, I'm going to figure out how to get a straw into this, and we can start. Oh, there's the the thing. We're good. I figured it out. It's like a colloid that just fully separates and then creates a wall. Well, the mango stuff stuff is delicious. Stuff on top isn't too bad either. It's just yeah. like, yep, that sure is something I'd expect That's... on a red velvet cake rather than a drink. <laughs> anyway. Has science gone too far? Science has gone too far. <laughs> just the inventing <laughs> cheese was already science going too far. Let's be real. I, One of my teachers uh, subscribes to the theory that civilization started because one guy left his barrel of wheat in a damp spot and then some water got on it and then he left it there and it was like ah my wheat got all weird and gross <laughs> better drink this oh wait this makes me make bad decisions this is fun let's stay in one place so we can become sedentary and make beer i don't think i buy that but it is funny <laughs> i mean every major uh milestone in human achievement has been on some level the result of like mold and fungus you know beer yeast penicillin it's come on. It's it's bacteria's so world. We're all just 50 living episodes. In it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Circling back to the point, this drink's pretty good. That that wasn't the point, Red. No, the point is <laughs> that sure? we have the overly sarcastic podcast, <laughs> half post show of OSP videos and half Q and A. But we'll save the Q and A for later because we have a post show of OSP videos. One of which was a trope talk, and the other which was a celebration of two million subscribers. Here I am bringing it together. Only, 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 barely. Um, Red, what do you want to talk about first? Dealer's choice. I'm sorry. The more I drink the cream cheese part, the less I like it. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, we can go chronologically. We can start with the trope talk. Um, sure. Yeah, which was 
It's conservation or ninjutsu, right? That's the... It was ninjutsu, yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. I finished two other trope talks in the last couple weeks, so my brain's a little scrambled. Um, I, I remember when you were editing the fight clips together, like, months ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be great to see this when it, when it finally comes out. <laughs> I had so much fun with this because I, I love this trope because... You know, when you write it down, it's like, oh, this is a problem. This doesn't make sense. But then the more you get into it, the more you're like, wait, this isn't a problem. This is just a reflection of like a thing, like a weird thing about how media works and how we like process visually stuff happening. Because, um, you know, when, I, when I'm using like footage from a Bruce Lee fight and I'm like, this is an example of how people in the background don't act the way they realistically should be. It's like that means this trope is doing something right <laughs> if it's, you know, if it's present in these good things. Yeah. Um, my or at favorite... least it serves a functional, structural role, even exactly. if it itself is not the highlight. <laughs> yes. Um, my favorite part of editing this is, uh, well, of course, on the one hand, you've got Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then on the other hand, you've got Marvel's Defenders, <laughs> which in its defense was not actually the most heinous. Ex- well, mm, it was close. It was that close. That was... That was not even necessarily a case of especially, uh, let me say, uh, a case of um, gratuitously bad choreography. It was just really, really gutless, weak cinematography where it's like we don't actually have the the internal fortitude to choreograph this properly. So let's just put nine camera cuts in this one punch to try and sell the impact. <laughs> I mean, there's that, yeah. But there's also the fact that, like, a lot of modern fight scenes are shot very, very dark. You know, characters will be wearing black in dark locations. And then, like, the the logic appears to be, like, if they can't see it, they can't tell how bad it is. So, you know, like, everyone makes that joke about, like, modern action movie scenes that are maybe starring actors who are not action stars who are maybe a little bit old for it or just, you know, like there's shots in Taken where it's like Liam Neeson goes over a fence and we have five cuts. <laughs> and it's like, why? Why do we do this? You couldn't just put a stuntman in there? Whatever, it's fine. Um, yeah. And in this case, it's like you have the difference between movies that are showing off the fight choreography where it's well lit and everyone is in distinct colors and like the background is has contrast with the figures in front of it. Uh, you know, so it's like, oh, it's a Jackie Chan fight scene. He's going to be the only person in this scene wearing this specific color and everyone else is kind of going to be doing their own thing. And the background is going to be contrasting that and it's going to be well lit at all times. Um, same thing with the Bruce Lee fight. You know, you got it from somewhere. Uh, and then it's like, it's defenders. Except instead of special costuming, Bruce Lee's just not wearing a shirt. Yeah, well, Bruce Lee had on a costume, and then he took off the costume, and then he's the only guy who's not wearing a shirt, so the it still works. The costume department comes up like, Mr. Lee, here's your, and he's like, no, no, go away. Step off. Go away, I, I don't need this. Everyone needs to see my 1% body fat. <laughs> um, so, oh, God. Uh, and then it's like, it's Defenders, it's Batman Begins, it's, you know... Frankly, almost every modern superhero movie has this to a certain extent, but the ones that are trying to be more serious do this by darkening up everything, putting in a lot of cuts, and then it's just, it's absolutely nonsensical to the point where I thought it was genuinely very funny while I was editing it. Because a lot of the time, like, when it goes through quickly, you're like, okay, a fight scene just happened and the good guys won. Good job. But then, like, when you're going through it shot by shot, you're like, wow, this is a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I I think when I messaged you when I was working on this was, like, I just cut, like, a fight scene from Defenders next to a Jackie Chan fight scene, and it feels like that's, like, disallowed by The Hague (laughs) or something. (laughs) Um, 
And it's just, you know, it, I wasn't trying to be mean. It was just like, good example. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the contrast is astoundingly jarring in mm-hmm. that instance. Yes. Well, you know, the difference between I want you to be able to see what's happening and, uh, well, we need to have a ninja fight because that's the plot, but we don't know how to make that look good. So I, I think the most interesting example in terms of like not just picking on 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 bad fights, but in, <laughs> in, in, in looking at how the trope is much more complex than like if you do this this is good or bad and if you don't this is bad or good the fight in twilight (laughs) where there's a lot of stuff going on in every corner of the frame for this big fight out on the frozen lake or wherever the hell i you all know i didn't see these movies um (laughs) but it is a case of every single stuntman Every single stunt person, every single stuntman, a plural word. Yeah, thank you, Brain. Um, everyone is giving their all for this scene, and half of it is obscured by other characters. Like, Red, you mentioned the one guy who did, like, a dead man fall that you can't yeah. see because it's behind Bella or some nonsense. Yes. That's a, a case of, like, you can mechanically solve this trope by having everyone do everything and everyone is a threat and everything is chaos, but the benefit is kind of dubious and yeah. it calls into question the the conventional wisdom around you know trope bad because it is a lot more complex than that well it's interesting because you're absolutely right like the main benefit of that scene having so much effort put into it is how many people were like in a twilight movie <laughs> are you guys bored <laughs> off um, the top rope <laughs> and it is interesting because you know when that's like pretty much the only fight scene i've ever seen when when you go through it like frame by frame you're like everything that's happening on screen actually holds up and makes sense but the cost is that in the greater context of the movie this is meaningless nothing yeah. happening here actually matters it's probably why they could go so crazy because it's like there's actually going to be no consequences from this so we can have people ripping off people's heads we can have chasms opening in the earth you know all that stuff uh which is cool that is kind of like a dream for for choreographing just a really intense fight but the fact is you know you don't have to a lot of the time and a lot of the fight scenes that i was sort of using to point out like these background people are not doing anything is like you know, the, the climactic fight in um, episode two, uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, with yeah, when Geonosis. all the clones show up. Yep, yeah, on Geonosis, where it's like, we got a million Jedi and a million robots or droids on screen, and they're all fighting each other, sort of. Uh, but mo- mostly people are, like, walking or, like, doing little, like, just so many combat roles little in the combat background. Rolls little combat kick. rolls and <laughs> kicks. Nothing. Yeah, and it's just, like, it's just visual noise, but it's not breaking your ability to focus you kind of have to go looking for that stuff um i mean you know a a lot of these fight scenes it's like if you just watch them as is you're like i understand what's happening and that's really all you need to do and honestly even the bad examples kind of pull that off it's like batman's beaten up on everybody you don't need to know what else is happening you can get that from just the sound effects uh and then you know uh the final fight in age of ultron which was my my uh punching bag du jour once again of just like everyone's fighting the good guys are gonna win that's all we need. But that's the thing. Like, that may be all we need, but the reason why people like the fight scenes they like is because they give you more than just the script directions of, like, A, a and B clash and A wins. Uh, like, if that was just the point, we could skip to the end. Uh, yeah. You know, like video game cutscene movie style, where it's like, <laughs> this part's gameplay, so you're not going to see it. <laughs> um, skip. Skip. Yeah. Uh, so, 
you know, it's it's just a very interesting thing to discuss. And it gave me an excuse to talk about a lot of, you know, a lot of fight scenes I liked or didn't like. It gave me an excuse to rewatch just a lot of Jackie Chan movies or watch some yeah. of them for the first time. Um, definitely, I think, maybe slightly more opinionated about uh, fight choreography <laughs> in current movies. I'm trying to sort of dial it back. I don't want to be a dick about this, but like... You know, when the bar is set really high because people are like, I'm going to put in the effort. I'm going to make this look incredible. You know, I'm making a movie that will last forever, so I want it to be as good as I can make it. And then you compare it to movies that do not do that. It's like, why didn't you do that? Come on. (laughs) Once you've you've pierced the veil and watched a lot of Bruce Lee or like Hong Kong Jackie Chan movies, Mm -hmm. you, you can't. You can't take anything else seriously. Everything else is a joke. Everything else is a joke. And the problem is I was back-to-backing that with, like, <laughs> with Ultron. Yeah. And I, I I, try not to be overly mean. I really do. I, I don't like being mean. And I wanted Ultron to be good. And that's part of why I keep coming back to it. Yeah. I, I think buried in the criticism of the big um, Sokovia fight in Ultron was actually a really good point that the the party fight against the Ultron robots is actually pretty good. It's good. Because the Avengers use teamwork when fighting the Ultron bots and only win because they are actually very cohesive, even when some of them are kind of drunk because they just had a big party and none of them have all their gear. Yeah. So it's uh, that that scene is actually really cool and works well. And then, and then. <laughs> part of the problem I had with the final fight in Ultron is like they are explicit about like we have to destroy every single Ultron robot. If any one of them escapes, Ultron will too. So we have to get rid of all of them. And thus implicit in this is that that two minute montage of them crushing bots with no like difficulty is they have destroyed the entire army of Ultron robots that Ultron handcrafted to destroy the Avengers. And it's yeah. like they have to have because that's what the story says they did. So uh, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's, it's unfortunate, and you can tell they kind of had to, like, speed through it and be like, all right, we've put ourselves in kind of an untenable position, and it's like, you know, you you could have reshuffled it, so it didn't do that, but that's okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, so that was that was the trope talk, and I yeah, had I quite will, a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah? I, I will real quick uh, add as an addendum to that trope talk, there's a video... Um, by a channel called Every Frame of Painting, fantastic mm. channel, uh, a classic of um, mid-2010s internet uh, cinema criticism, uh, How to Do Action Comedy, which is all about why Jackie Chan fight scenes are so dang good. Yes. Um, it's, he, he stopped making videos, one. but the channel is all still up and very well worth watching, so definitely yeah. check that out. Um, and of course, the other thing that we did uh, in the last couple of weeks was the Two Million Milestone videos. <laughs> this yes. is a fun podcast. It's kind of just a twofer on videos I did. <laughs> yeah, I uh, un- unfortunately, uh, I, I, I've been having a bit of a rough summer. And we talked mm. a little bit about this um, last time with Jenny Nicholson. But part of our, our sneaky strategy to, to, <laughs> to give me a little bit of a, of a breather was what if we put this really cool milestone video in a Friday slot so we can give me two extra weeks of buffer time <laughs> yeah. without without disrupting the schedule. Yeah. Um, we'll pull back the curtain a little bit, but just to um, to kind of, you know, explain that, uh, you know, burnout's a thing. It's important to take care of yourself. But, you know, in exchange, we got a really, really fun video out of it because the animateds are always a really great time. Yeah, I had fun with this one. Um, it was, uh, you know, uh, cut together from a lot of the highlight reels that Indigo cut together on her end, which was a lot of fun. Um, she's doing the like double like peace signs thing for those of you at home who can't see this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, it was it was just kind of it's always interesting making these because the moments that are funny on stream are not always the moments that are the funniest when you animate them. Um, it's the same way like a lot of the vines I love, I just could not make a good divine out of because it's like the things that are funny when you just take the audio and like apply it to characters are not the same thing as the things that are funny when you have the whole experience. Uh, so yeah. I was sort of going through and I was like, these are funny, but I don't know what visuals I'd attach to them to make them work. Uh, but yeah, no, it ended up working out pretty good. Uh, I had it like mostly workable within like a month or so of it. And then I was just like, I'm just going to leave this alone. And like the more time we have before we hit 2 million, the more time I'll have to like polish it and add soundtracks and sound effects and stuff like that. Um, and then when we crouped up on it, it's like, okay, it's going to it's gonna be this week, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, YouTube was doing something funky with like the subscriber counts because there was a day where like we dropped about like 1,500 uh, yeah, they and were then, doing some some inactive account purges, which they well, haven't done for a couple years. We think that's what happened, except those accounts came back like two days later <laughs> and oh, like bumped yeah, us wait. back up again. Mm. So because initially we were like, OK, at this rate, it might not actually happen by Friday. And then like two days later, it's like, oh, we are super on track. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're good. And then those accounts bipped out of existence again after we crossed the milestone, not like long enough that we didn't dip under it again, which is good. But like that's part of why. We wanted to um, wanted to have a little bit of yeah. little bit of time, so yeah. Because <laughs> putting it up on we Friday did... ended up being being a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, because um, whenever there, we there put a up a of... milestone video, like back back in the day when YouTube uh, showed the entire subscriber count like public facing, rather than just like the rounded up version, and Social Blade had access to that, and you could watch the subscriber count live, uh, like subscriber by subscriber. Every time we put up a milestone video, there would be like. 10 people being like, teehee, and like unsubscribe uh, yeah. to get us below it again. Uh, so we were like, all right, chuckle fucks, we're going to wait until we're at 2,000 <laughs> over. <laughs> I'd like to see you make a joke out of it then. Yeah, um, it was um, it was a fun one. I I think there was really no way we could top the live action skid of, of the fancy thing from <laughs> fancy. the 1 million. Also yeah. because we weren't able to like, because of COVID, we weren't really able to be in the same place to record no, sadly. much of anything in the past like year. Um, but doing this animated was was a good time. We got to finally give Indigo a chibi, yes. which was uh, which was great. I was so excited, and <laughs> Ziggy too, now. which was and big. Ziggy now well. my chibi yeah. status is permanently tied to a cat being on the channel in some form or another. <laughs> uh, crayon box grows now there are officially two cats with chibis and <laughs> and a whole indigo as well yes, i'm real right. they've unleashed me from my cyber prison. but i did make it easier for myself by making you a little navi sprite and all the breath of the wild yes <laughs> yeah I, I, I didn't realize until like after watching it a couple times like there was just so many breath of the wild clips because those streams just have such a a crazy like manic road trip energy mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. really lends itself well to the animated <laughs> oh yeah no they're absolutely hilarious um <clears throat> and they're also the ones that had the most of us on at a time yeah. um yeah no it was fantastic uh and it was it was fun it was a very fun little milestone video i was worried personally uh pull back the curtain again uh because whenever we do a, like a non-standard upload for our weekly upload i'm always like oh man i i don't know about this <laughs> i i hope people won't be mad uh because for me i'm always like let's put it up on tuesdays like a bonus thing and then they'll still get what they expect on friday but in this case it was like well i mean it's gonna be when we hit the milestone anyway so we're kind of <laughs> going to need to do it on yeah. friday so like um yeah and uh people liked it it like even like numbers wise it performed well uh yeah, which i wasn't expecting um and we had uh, a pin release attached to it which is doing decently well uh because it's not uh it's not you know like the gods where it's like you can just get this and be like this is funny even if you don't have context these are just like we got two little like 
I don't know, googly-eyed little plushies, color-coordinated. If you don't know what the channel is, you know. Yeah, th- this is some of the OSP merch where it's like, if you don't know what OSP specifically is, it will mean absolutely nothing to you. Where like, yeah. you know, you can you can get the the little god pins as a gift for someone who doesn't know anything about OSP, and if they just like Greek mythology, they're gonna like that. This is is very specific, so we wanted to wait until we had this milestone because we always were like asked, oh, will you do like red and blue, like, you know, pins or whatever. And we're like, it, it feels weird to make mm-hmm. us the merch on a random day. So like, okay, this is this is the one opportunity where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll celebrate ourselves. We'll be a little bit vain. We'll, we'll make ourselves the pins because yeah. otherwise it's like, no, like people are here for the gods, not, not little <laughs> chibi red and blue uh, pins or anything like that. Yeah. But. So, but those are still in the, uh, in the crowdmate shop. Uh, yep. If you missed them, they'll they'll be there. And I think they're coming back for Black Friday. If they'll we... be back for Black Friday. Their current run, if you're listening to this in late August of 2022, uh, will be until uh, early September. So you've got pretty much two weeks ish, little under from when this video or from when this podcast goes up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they'll be back uh, in the fall for our annual. Uh, Black Friday pin re-release along with all the other ones as well. So mm. uh, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, and <laughs> I will say we've sort of talked about this before. Uh, and on various streams and stuff, we've been having these conversations about like media preservation and stuff like that. And the mm-hmm. fact that almost all the work we do is entirely online and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I, I've mentioned that like one thing I really liked about the pins, like the first time I had them was like, these things are solid and they're like metal and they'll last. And I had this odd moment of like, for the first time, art that I have created and designed will potentially outlive me. How strange. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, now that like there's little like highly stylized versions of us that are also the same level of like sturdy, I'm like, hmm, so this is what (laughs) immortality feels like. It's more marketable than I expected. (laughs) Caesar so. marks his face in coins. We in pins. Who among <laughs> us is more immortal? <laughs> Who among us? You said? <laughs> oh God! I rewatched the animated for that recently too. When God, I was that like... one was so good. I yeah, I I, I rebinged all the animated. They're so <laughs> so funny. It, oh, it's, yeah. it is kind of interesting to see like among them. Careful word choice. <laughs> uh, like who is like the star of each little animated. <laughs> so like, I think Joe Cat was absolutely the star of the Among Us animated. Oh, that was be, like, yeah. that, that was his role. He was born to play, get killed by us. Yes. Um, and then for the Tsushima one, I feel like that was really like my moment to be a badass samurai. <laughs> um, and the the Breath of the Wild one, Red, was was definitely like your like forward momentum carrying us through the, the speed run discussion. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's kind of fun seeing like who gets their like protagonist status. And I think yeah. uh, Indigo got a, a lot of good moments in this one too yeah i also i this one was definitely a little less like it had less of a like an internal plot than the others but mm-hmm. i think it was very funny especially because like you pointed out that like the personality that your like breath of the wild version developed <laughs> in this <laughs> was kind of like oh i don't know how do i phrase this <laughs> uh the specific version of you that is characterized in the clips that were chosen is kind of a dick 
<laughs> but in like in like a I'm the protagonist kind of way. Yeah. Um. Because you uh, when I showed you the um the you know one way is talk to Impa, the other one is defeat all four divine beasts. Uh, you you <laughs> were like fuck? I like how we start this threatening you even though like you're objectively correct and correcting for my mistake and it's like yeah when you combo that with the like well I you know this just means we got to Kakariko so much faster it's like oh this guy's kind of a kind of a brash protagonisty type isn't yeah. he. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm like the the higher up that the protagonist has to deal with for the first half of the plot oh, <laughs> until God. I get offed, and then yeah, you either um, get offed or you have like a like a like a the bare minimum change of heart and come back with reinforcements for the final battle, and then you get offed. What happened was I was a lancer protagonist oh, in this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> that was really fun. Uh, mm. As far as announcements go, um, pins, uh, two million again. Thank you, thank you all so much. Really extraordinary and incomprehensible yes um red did you want to uh to recommend anything for for our audience to check out oh actually uh, uh <laughs> after so this I, I actually sort of did this uh in the conservation of ninjutsu video uh and funny story about that so one of the video examples i used was from the youtube channel corridor crew uh mm. they have a series called stuntmen react and stunt women react and they basically bring in a stuntman or stuntwoman guest and they look at fight scenes and they discuss how they worked um it it was part of my research for the video, but mostly like watching that was just something that put me in the headspace of like, yeah, let's unpack this from a perspective I haven't thought of before. Uh, I wanted to recommend that video in the description of the video, and I went to their channel, and that was the day that they had been briefly hacked and their channel had been taken down, and I was like, oh, oh no. God. So, But they are back up now, uh, okay. and they don't seem to have had any lasting effects, so all the videos are still up. So okay. uh, I recommend that you check out Corridor Crew, Stuntmen React, and Stuntwomen React. They are two separate playlists. Um, they're just really fun and interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't seen as many as you have, but the ones I have seen are all really good. I've seen all of them. I want them to make more. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's the curse uh, of how until my brain day, works. But yes, um, yes. That is all for us here. So let us transition into the Q&A portion of the video. Yeah. Podcast. Damn it. Two weeks in a row I do this. <laughs> 50 episodes later. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord, as we have done for 50 episodes. Woohoo! And because yeah. this is the 50th episode, we're actually going to be kicking everything off with a lightning round. I didn't forget this time, and it's not going to be late, despite that having happened a few times in the past. No, no, no. We're ready. Uh, so these are all questions that you guys have submitted to us or pieces of media, books, movies, video games, bands, etc. Uh, and you want to know whether we've seen it, read it, etc. It, uh, and we're just going to go through really quickly and say yes or no. And usually what ends up happening is that inevitably, if there is something that we've seen, we might talk about it a little bit. But this is the lightning round generous uh, of you to say we and not red <laughs> there have been a couple times when i went off when we did the yeah. lightning round on the big stray stream that was kind of a sneaky two million pre-celebration stream mm -hmm. i i went off a couple times but let's oh, yeah. uh Blue let me not go off right now let's let's begin yes of course we're gonna start it off strong with seinfeld no no <laughs> i have and i feel like maybe now i need to give you guys a tv list in addition to giving you a movie list to catch i'm good on. thanks it's a live action sitcom right yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm good. It was the the kind of foundational piece of observational comedy, ah. which swiftly devolved into the genre of complaining about stuff. Anyway, mm, yes. next next one. <laughs> Thor: Love and Thunder. No. No, I really wanted to because I liked Ragnarok a lot, but as what happened with 
Multiverse of Madness. I heard the first like things about yeah. it, and I'm like, oh no, all my enthusiasm sapped. So maybe later, but not now. Not I was yet. lukewarm on it, and then I saw like all of the reviews about it, and I was like, hmm, this sounds like it's like a compressed version of everything I've disliked about recent Marvel <laughs> movies. So I just didn't watch it. Yeah, I figure I'll get to it eventually, but I've been a bit yeah. slacking on getting to Marvel movies immediately when they come out. Now I feel like there's less. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I'll eh, get to it when I get to it. Um, the Ace Attorney games. <laughs> Uh, I've like I know people who are really into them, so by proxy, I know some stuff about them, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I've never played them. Uh, Ludo History streams the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which are like the British Empire mm-hmm. ones that seems mm-hmm. neat, but I, I haven't played them. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I'm a fan. Let's see, Sea Beast, the Netflix animated. Oh, movie. I'm gonna. I've seen cute stuff about it. It looks pretty interesting, but I haven't watched it yet. Haven't no. Nice. The Silo series, series of books. No, never heard of it. Muppets Most Wanted. <laughs> no, actually. Oh. Sounds fun, but no, haven't. <laughs> the movie. Uh, Venture Bros. Uh, I've heard of one. it, but yeah, no. no, haven't. Elvis 2022, the movie. <laughs> oh, I'm just so interested in <laughs> biopics about uh, dead pop stars. No, yeah, I haven't I, watched it. Well, I was visiting my dad lately, and he was like, I haven't seen the Elvis one yet, so if he hasn't, I don't think I ever will. <laughs> Another Bob really situation. Mm. Get that Romeo plus Juliet vibe in. That's all I want from that movie. I haven't actually oh, seen yeah, it Oh, yeah, Boz. Yeah, true. My boy Boz. Uh, Kill Six Billion Demons. It's a webcomic. Ooh, yes. Uh, I'm not sure I know what's happening anymore, but <laughs> uh, it is good. It's illustrated by like the or like written and illustrated by the guy who does all the illustrations for the game Lancer, which is like oh. giant robots and shit. Uh, so like the first time I saw art for Lancer, I was like, hold on a goddamn second. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting, very like dark and kind of upsetting, and like I, it's like another piece of media that I don't necessarily recommend to everybody because it's a bit much, but it's incredibly well crafted. So nice. yeah, blue. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Disastrous Life of Psyche K. No, but I know about it. Uh, it's pretty no, fun. anime about like a psychic guy. Yeah, yeah no it's like slice yeah. of lifey. Uh, yeah. Megamind? Uh, duh, obviously. <laughs> I, I haven't, and this actually <gasps> bit me earlier this morning because uh, we've had a little bit of, of a meme renaissance on the subreddit uh, mm-hmm. lately with mm-hmm. the, the template of Red presenting the Divine Beasts. <laughs> I should have known. Uh, and one of them uh, was... Uh, in actual Middle Egyptian from from our, our, our friend Billy. Uh, and so I scoured my dictionary. It. I found what it was saying, and uh, yeah. it was basically like a like an updated version of the Megamind No Bitches meme, but Blue was not familiar with this meme. <laughs> so yeah. I had to translate on Blue. several levels. Uh, love Billy. Yeah. Also one of the mods on the Moviestruck server. Give yes. a shout out. Hey. Uh, Zachary Ng and the Dragon Emperor. Oh, not yet, but it's by Zhejiang Zhejiao. Zhejiao. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've seen them promoting it. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but yeah, I also I, every time I saw them promoting it, they'd be like, "It's based on like Yu-Gi-Oh." <laughs> <I'm> like, Hell <laughs> yeah! Hell yes! <laughs> I will read this book for children absolutely. Imagine a reverse <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh where they fight wars to resolve card games. Oh <laughs> god, that's <laughs> uh, CJ the X. The YouTuber, I think. No, sorry. No. Which hat? Uh, which hat? Atelier? 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 How? Does, atel- <laughs> no, I've heard Nothing. of it, but I don't know. <laughs> I've only about read it. it, so I don't know. <laughs> 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 What's out loud? Uh, BBC Merlin. 
the show. Oh, God. <laughs> no. A friend of mine tried to get me into it, but the way she did this was being like, all right, season one is bad. Season two is also bad. Uh, season three is not great. Season four is not great. And season five is bad again. And I was like, what part of this show do you want me to watch? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely um, had its moments. Uh, <laughs> Wings of Fire, the book? Nope, never no. heard of it. The Unsleeping City D and D. Yes, vibe. yes, oh, yes. Of course, of course. Everybody needs to watch it. Or, to so be accurate, good. I've only watched the first season. I know the second season happened. I've seen some about it. I'm gonna watch it. But yes, it's uh, Dimension Twenty. Brendan Lee Mulligan DMing. It's like D and D reskinned to be urban mm-hmm. fantasy New York. It's exactly my shit. Everybody needs to watch it. it is it's good. very good. It is it's good. probably my favorite. I mean, I, I prefer obviously. Fantasy High, but Unsleeping <laughs> City is also very good. Yeah. yeah. Other than, you know, rolling with difficulty hit D&D podcast, I'd say the Unsleeping Slitties <laughs> is probably my favorite, like, live game. Uh, Magic the Gathering. Uh, I've played it a few times. Uh, I knew a guy in high school who was very into it. Uh, and so we did that sometimes. But other than that, I don't, I, does that, like, count if someone who's really into it is like, play a few rounds with me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I would say that's an accurate, you know, for the sake of a lightning round description of your experience with that particular piece yeah, of content. I, that's fair. Covers it. I, I was you, Yu-Gi-Oh, bitch. <laughs> I was uh, just, I just like the pretty pictures on all the cards, so I was a big Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh yeah. kid, but only in so far as, like, I just wanted to collect all the cards that looked uh, shiny and flashy. I think um, there's a hot take in there that the pictures on Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards are prettier than the illustrations in Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I was 10, to be fair. Okay. <laughs> And I watched both Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, so there was some sort of innate knowledge. I don't know if I would say necessarily... I don't haven't seen enough Magic the Gathering cards to say that the art is prettier on one versus the other. It's I don't want that to be the good. hot take people take away from this. My TV <laughs> trope page is nebulous as bad. <laughs> like an arcane-style Magic the Gathering animated series. I mean, obviously, I had my biases, but I think the art in the Yu-Gi-Oh cards was pretty good. Like, it's pretty good. They, yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. fun and creative in a lot of places. Hello, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, uh, it's... When we get ported over to the U.S., some of the cards would get sent in really funny ways so if you ever want to like give yourself a little giggle look up some of the cards they changed it's more that they were kind of more of like an animesque style whereas the magic the gathering things kind of look like fantasy book covers like not the shitty ones like Mm -hmm. the painted ones uh like they get really (laughs) solid artists to do my favorite are always pokemon cards that are ditto and they're just like little clay figures that someone put into a background and took a picture of and put on the cover (laughs) i think those are neat uh but for the last one here uh before we close out this lightning round we have xu calamity so Xandria oh. Unlimited Calamity. Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I watched also the whole thing very DM'd slowly. DM'd by Brennan Lee Mulligan. <laughs> yes. DM'd by Brennan Lee Mulligan. Uh, and it's interesting seeing what he's like off the chain. <laughs> um, <laughs> because when he's DMing, DMing a game where the uh, accepted ending is everybody's going to die and the world's going to end, he can mm-hmm. kind of just do a lot of stuff that he probably doesn't want to do in campaigns where the players can come back and beat him up later. Yeah. Um, so definitely good, uh, well worth a watch. But I had to, like I think it took me like two weeks total to like inch my way through it because <laughs> there was like there were the hits just kept coming, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I I feel like that kind of like pitch for a short campaign where it's like yeah, it, this is a prequel to explain why everything's so messed up is like. Brennan just has the freedom to be like, I'm going to give a TPK encounter in session two, and you will have to earn the right to outlive it. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And what yeah. I love about it is that, like, I guess all the players, or like, a couple of the players were like, I want to survive. So, like, uh, Abria Iyengar, who uh, has 
normally DMs, but in this case got to play. She was like, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to build an absolute tank of a wizard. She's going to have so many hit points and I'm going to basically like hack it so I can use like my arcane ward every round. And then Travis was like, I'm going to play a bird man with wings <laughs> and he survives. <laughs> and Lou like, Wilson oh, just shows up like, yeah. fuck you, Brennan, yeah, <laughs> before he's like, anything even happens. Yeah. Travis is like, oh yes, we're on a flying city. Okay. Bird. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. <laughs> um, yep. But yep. a lot of those guys were clearly like, I am here to die spectacularly, and I don't care who knows it. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, fun stuff all around. That's been this ed- edition of the l- 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 Lightning Round. We'll be back Lightning in round. five episodes Lightning. with another one. Uh, thank you guys for getting us to 50 episodes total. That's wild. Uh, and we have some regular Q&A questions coming at you now to close on this all out. Uh, this Let's first question go. comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Diana. To all, I've started re-watching Smallville and the Spectacular Spider-Man and reading the Percy Jackson series again, and I've been seeing where I've gotten all my I just want to help and do good parts of my conscious. What shows do y'all think played a formative role in your moral codes? That's a great mm. question. It is. <laughs> um, first of all, wholeheartedly approve of those uh, those choices. But that, that, yeah, that's a good smattering. Yeah, yes, but uh, unfortunately for everyone else on this call, <laughs> I've oh, had a lot of thoughts on the nature of a reboot and why it made me on many foundational levels the person I am today. Because okay, like when I'm, I was... I'm going to go brew some tea. I'll be back in like half an hour. It's fine. <laughs> Basically, the last time I started rewatching it, I was like, this is where I got all of my tastes and protagonists up to and including, I just really like Paragon good boys that try and help everybody and have kind of a sense of humor about it. Um, but also, oh, this is where I got my love of really, really brooding edgy loners. That makes sense. Hell and, you yeah. know, stuff like that. <laughs> um, and uh, just really solid, like charismatic bad guys. And, but it wasn't all reboot. You know, I, I also read other shit. <laughs> um, every time I like, you know, reread or rewatch something from like really formative times. I'm like, oh, that's where like a solid 40% of my personality came from. Um, I recently reread like all of Usagi Yojimbo, which is a comic I've talked about, as being really good. Uh, Kurosawa style, like, it's like funny animals, but like it's Kurosawa style. So the main character is a rabbit samurai, Miyamoto <laughs> Usagi, uh, and he's great. And I was like, oh, this is where I got a lot of the tropes I like. Okay, that makes sense. And another hit, another tick in the, uh, paragon heroes that help everybody with a kind of a sense of humor about it column um yeah there was another one that i oh uh like every ghibli movie but especially now she got in castle in the sky mm-hmm. uh hugely formative for me um just all kinds of things about that uh with castle in the sky it was like man i really love like soft post apocalypses where it's like the world ended but like it's been so long that nobody gives a fuck anymore <laughs> um and all the people <laughs> who do care about it are like weirdo hyper militaristic like pseudo fascists who are just like we're going to build a robot army and it's like bud this didn't work last time um <laughs> so honestly it would probably be easier to list the things in my childhood that didn't have a huge formative effect on how my brain <laughs> yeah. works funny how um, consuming media when you're young can affect you as a person for the rest of your yeah. life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely baffling yeah. Uh, a lot of the media that I, I got as a, as a, a young beeb uh, probably had more of a, a subconscious effect on me than anything I, I would actively recognize for quite a long while. Uh, a good portion of that was the DC animated shows, so like Batman Animated, Justice League, uh, Justice League Unlimited, uh, Batman Beyond, yeah. watched a bunch of when I was mm. younger. Um, I liked that a lot. Uh, just Batman as a character was like, 
He's a hero, and he always helps people, and he's the best, and he has a cool <laughs> cape, and he flies around. Yeah, uh, but also, um, I think like some early like philosophical gears started spinning when I watched the Star Wars prequels and was getting like obviously through trash dialogue kind of like <laughs> a little bit of like good and evil what does that look uh-huh. like how does like huh and like obviously you know <laughs> themes that would not be picked up on or consciously understood for another like decade and a half but I'm like oh this is interesting baby uh, I like what that, I like from what my that point of view guys the Jedi are evil and it's like whoa <laughs> 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 mind blown yeah um and then uh my understanding of physics uh, came from Looney Tunes. Um, mm. Definitely got a strong definitely understanding. Definitely going to serve you yeah. well uh, in the real world. Th- those two were probably big. I think Avatar as well, uh, kind of in like mm. the, the, the third, fourth grade era. But again, everyone bullied me for that. <laughs> so I didn't actually like revisit it until college uh, and appreciate like, oh, wow, there's like a lot of really good stuff in here. Wow. Um, so uh, kind of Aang Paragon morality definitely seeped in there at some point. But yeah. it's it's a lot of stuff that I watched when I was young and then like really didn't revisit much until way the hell later. So uh, let's take Diana's advice. Revisit the stuff you watched as a kid. You'll be surprised yeah. what's in there. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> remembered one, actually. I, oh. I knew there was a more recent one because I I'd like recently had a moment of like, oh, God, how much of me is in this? Uh, there's a <laughs> webcomic that was formerly its own, uh, not a webcomic, before there were webcomics, called Girl Genius by comic artists Phil and Kaya Folio. Uh, they've done a lot of other comics before this, but this one is like a steampunk like adventure situation. It's been running since like 2000. Uh, so, like, when I was little, the way I'd read it is, like, whenever there was a new page, my parents would, like, print it out and put it in, like, a binder of the pages. Because, like, when the book was consolidated, they'd, like, buy the book and we'd just have that. But, like, while Mm -hmm. it was still running, it would be, like, here, yeah, new page, go read through it. Um, and I recently reread it all, like, the entire archive, which took me, like, four days of doing nothing else. And I was, like... Oh no, everything I know about how I do like comic layouts and dialogue and like the character <laughs> dynamics is here. Oh fuck. <laughs> um, but it's good. Yeah. It's a good comic. Uh so yeah. it was like a it was a good oh, I've absorbed a lot more of this than I realized. All right, cool. But at the same time I was kinda like, who am I? <laughs> am I just like five pieces of media stacked in a trench coat? <laughs> so Yeah. Uh I dressed a lot like a Power Rangers uh character in college. <laughs> pretty much for the same reason. I watched pretty much I, if I'm trying to think of like what shows influenced me the most as a kid, it's we didn't have cable, so whatever was on the four kids block on any given Saturday. Um, which is a spectrum from like the Yu Gi Oh English dub to uh, the Winx Club and Sonic X and all that, all that jazz, <laughs> all of which I think overarching theme of like kids cartoons, you know, power, friendship and all that jazz, uh, but particularly magical girl shows, I feel like I was really into and gave me a certain sense of like, yeah, you know, you don't have to necessarily do everything yourself um, and you don't have to necessarily just pick one thing to do. You can might have your specialty. Maybe, you know, you're a regular girl by day and you fight crime by night and that's OK. You can do both. You know, you can have it all, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know. I feel like uh, more so than any one particular show influencing me as a kid, it was just sort of like an aggregate ambient media tone. And it sort of changes as you grow up. You know, you never really stop learning from the stuff you consume if you're oh, yeah. consuming good stuff or, you know, questionable Bad stuff. stuff but I've passion. learned <laughs> so much doing Movie Struck, and I don't know how much of it is actually useful. <laughs> useful or influential my personality but it's definitely there now <laughs> well i've talked about like sometimes you know you watch something and you're like this is incredible and then like a few years later you rewatch it and you're like oh this isn't what 
what did I see in this? And the answer mm-hmm. is there was something in that show that you needed and yeah. you absorbed yeah. all, like you sucked it out like a vampire. But now that you have <laughs> that, when you go back, it's like, oh, well, you know, that stuff I liked is still there, but like everything else isn't really doing it for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So That's probably yeah. something similar to, to me in the Assassin's Creed games. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like... I got what I needed out of those and, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This next question comes from the bookworm to blue. What board games would you recommend to anyone looking to get into board games? Oh, buddy, that's a that's rabbit a hole question. and a half. Well, I figured I, 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 I teed have... you up for a, a reboot question, Red, so it felt only fair to tee Blue up for I a board game. I was nice question. about it. I, I didn't right even name just... names. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I yeah. Um, my experience with board games and like understanding that board games could actually be good or fun. Um, started by playing uh, the board game Pandemic with Red and, and a bunch of our, our, mm. our like middle school, high school friends. Uh, must have been like a year or so after the game came out. The game came out in like, like 2010, 2011 or something. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh, a cooperative board game that's like actually fun and interesting and isn't like bland-ass Monopoly that lasts four hours and never gets finished until, like, everyone just quits and you win by attrition. <laughs> wow! Uh, so that was the first game to, that to make me think, oh my gosh, this is insane. Um, so I really like that one. That was one of the first games I got when I started building up a little collection. <laughs> um, Carcassonne still slaps. Still really fun. Um, one of my... Uh, two of my my favorite board games that I will usually bring and recommend whenever you know going anywhere like bringing game for something is Dragoon, um, which is like Risk but consolidated down to the pure essence of fucking people over because you are all playing as dragons trying to steal each other's gold, oh, it's so and that's fun. all you need. There it <laughs> is. Uh, and the other game that I really like is um, Pandemic Fall of Rome, which is a version of Pandemic reskins to be the late Roman Empire and you're instead of like facing off plagues you're fighting barbarian invasions it's it's obviously fun it's very hard but it's also weirdly very actually educational about the kind of processes that led to like territorial decline and how you have to make decisions of like you know what this province is lost sorry guys pull back um and like oh you can do corrupt actions that are more useful but it it erodes the integrity of the roman state it's actually surprisingly informative Mm -hmm. um in terms of like getting you into that mindset which is pretty cool um and then there is concordia which is kind of like a merchant engine building game it's a little more complex but that one's fun um so pandemic carcassonne Dragoon, um, Pandemic Fall of Rome are probably some of my favorites, um, and none of them are terribly complicated to get into. Another one that I really like is Santorini, which is kind of chess-like. It's a two-player game, but it gets really wonky because you get god powers that that completely throw off how the game works. It's Buckwild. Really like Santorini as well. No two games of Santorini play the same, depending on what gods you have. Uh, I wanted to throw in a couple because we yeah. played a game of King's Dilemma with a bunch of friends that lasted like weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was multiple months because we oh, were yeah. playing like one a week, <laughs> yeah. and it was like a twelve game series. It, it <laughs> took a hot minute. It was a lot of fun, and there were a couple board games that I remembered fondly from my youth, and I looked them up just to make <laughs> sure. Uh, one of them was it, and they're both like Ravensburger things, so they're probably aimed at like very small children. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of them was called Labyrinth, and I really liked it because it had this setup where like uh, it was one of those like sort of you lay down tiles kind of situations. Um, but the way the tiles worked is that each tile has a like a stretch of corridor for a labyrinth, but you 
add them to the board by sliding them in, and they displace the entire row or column of tiles that oh, are previously there. That's cool. And you've got characters that are trying to move through it, and different tiles have different things on them, like different treasures or whatever, uh, which in hindsight probably also definitely colored a lot of my love of fantasy <laughs> and such like. Also, I forgot that Diana Wynne Jones's Tough Guide to Fantasyland is the entire thing that made me want to write, so that also counts as a thing for the previous question. The other game is another sort of tile-building one, a game called Tikal, which is sort of like... A, uh, it, first of all, I want to apologize to one of our aforementioned high school uh, and middle school friends because I left this game at his house for like three months <laughs> until he eventually just physically brought it to my house. I was like, I'm sorry. So sorry Drop about that. kicks it into your window. <laughs> but it's a good game. Um, it's another one of those like sort of tile, you know, lay down and like uh, you flip them up to sort of expose what they are. Uh, and it's like a jungle exploration game. And they had these beautiful little tokens of like like gold idols and stuff you find. I can't speak to how well it holds up with our current awareness of like colonialism and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I remember really liking how it looks. <laughs> so uh, hey, that counts for a lot in board games. Some some games live and die on their aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love the little tokens that look like little gold, like just the beautiful yeah. rendering on the metal texture. Anyway, I I, I do like want to double up on, on, on Santorini again because it is so fun the way that the god cards work because you get like reverse synergies yeah. where you have characters with different powers that can create really crazy consequences like yeah I'm playing as this minotaur character who can fully yeet people off of cliffs and someone mm -hmm. else is like oh yeah well I'm playing as Apollo who can switch places with people so how about that fuck you yeah, just or so Pan everybody who knows. wins by jumping off a building I love Pan um, playing his Pan is busted as hell yeah um, the best thing about Santorini is that the premise is essentially you are gods and you are bored and you are using the island of Santorini <laughs> to build cities and destroy them. Uh, and whenever you reset the game, it's the, the gods being like, all right, that's enough and sweeping everything <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. And uh, every card has like an adorable little chibi illustration of They're the all gods. Chibis. They're yep. all so cute. Um, and they all have really, I don't know if they even did any game balance testing, because some of the matchups are incredibly broken in one direction or another, but like... They, 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 they tested it very well, because even when the matches are broken, they're really fun. Mm. Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. This like, is there's the kind one of character game... who can fucking screen warp off the edge of the map and come yeah. back on the other side. And there's a few that can, like, swim around the outside. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, nice. it's but so fun. All of them have counters one way or another. Yep, yeah. it's a great game to, like like when you start winning to really like play up the heel element like to start laughing maniacally about it it's just great yeah yeah excellent well this next question comes from bewitching badger to all to what extent do you believe you are defined by your careers and how do you see your careers bleed into your everyday life oh my god we just went from the fun board game question <laughs> to like <laughs> contemplate your existence um, you know, you guys have just I hit almost... two mil recently you know it's a yeah. big milestone I... in terms of youtuber <laughs> careers like how much does you how much do you think about your careers in your day-to-day -day life as opposed to just, like, mm. how much do you see yourself as, I guess, independent from the work you create? Yeah. I almost feel like this is a better question for Cyan because she's the one who has to listen to me talk about this shit all day. <laughs> oh, God. I think, like, I'm not really sure how, if this is, like, missing the point or whatever, but I, I think it's it would be inaccurate to say that I think about the career side of this very much um, because, for me, it is, you know, it's just one video after after the next it's like whatever i'm working on at the time is the thing that has my full attention and it's all kind of in the same space to me so it's like this is a video for the channel this is a comic for the comic this is spitballing urban fantasy ideas for a thing that doesn't exist yet you know and in my head they're all shaped the same mm -hmm. um 
And they all carry almost the same amount of weight. Like, I'm not entirely sure why. It's almost the same way that, like, when we hit 2 million, it didn't really feel real to me. Because it's like, that's happening in a space that I know exists. But, like, that space is almost happening without my participation. Like, I put videos into it. And then, (laughs) you know, people just show up and are like, neat. (laughs) What people choose to to do with our videos, how they share them, how they interact with them is, is, is fully their choice. We can't prescribe that mm-hmm. yeah yeah the main exactly. thing is that like you know the channel being as successful as it is does allow us to like not have to do other stuff that we might yeah. not want to do so like as i was you know creeping up on the end of college i was like oh man i'm gonna have to put all this on hold and get like a quote-unquote real job and the channel numbers started going whoop and i was like, was like oh okay <laughs> never mind thanks yeah so it's like just like a very comfortable like like a safety net or just, you know, gives us, like, I couldn't make the comic at the rate I do if I had to also juggle, like, a job or something mm-hmm. like that. Or, yeah. uh, and, you know, the, I didn't even have ads on the comic until, like, last month. So it was not making me any money. <laughs> so, like, you can't really, you know, unless you have a safety net, it's kind of hard to do that sort of thing. And I, I knew that, you know, everything I wanted to do career-wise was something that was, like, not financially stable. So I was like, if I can just get, like, one thing that works... Then I can do all the stuff I actually like want to do. I can make all the art I want to make without having to stress about that. Um, and honestly, it's it's almost like the main presence that my career has in my day to day life is an absence of a lot of stressors that I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The ability to just like fully set my own schedule and just create and like burn a day just thinking about something <laughs> and then like turn that <laughs> into something later. Like yeah. that's all stuff I love doing. But I wouldn't be able to do if I did not have this incredibly stable, like, you know, body of work. And also, I just, I guess sometimes I'm like, if I'm watching a movie, I'm like, should I turn this into a trope talk? Should I be doing this for research? Or like, do I have to watch this thing for like academic integrity or whatever? But it's it's a rare occasion. You know, most of the time I'm, if I'm not actively working on a video or a script at the time, it doesn't like haunt my every waking moment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we started this channel because it was, you know, a hobby. We we did it for fun, and we're able to run this as a business and make it our jobs, which is incredible. Mm. But I, I think we still kind of maintain a little bit of a, of, of a hobbyist attitude where it's like we do this because we enjoy it. And mm. I feel like I kind of exist in a liminal space between, like, I am not person who has a day job they are fully disinterested in and i'm also not the cartoon character blue on screen i'm somewhere Mm -hmm. between that i'm like the voice actor and the writer for blue so to speak yeah and i can think of the work that we do on the channel as projects of like you know red like you said like this is a project this is another project these these videos come one after the other and it's 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 a sequence of constantly working on this thing and sometimes I can put that away and sometimes it's just kind of burning through my brain and I have to figure it out or, or fix it on until I understand something. Yeah. Um, or until I can like put it on paper and it's like, okay, I, I can rest now. It's, it's, it's on paper. I don't need to keep thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's such a odd space because we are actively working on this thing. And the joy of our channel is that, you know, it's just it's just us working on it. It's it's all us. It's all our choices. But it's also all on us. It's our responsibility to make sure that this gets this done. And if 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 we don't work, videos don't get made, which which becomes a balance. So I, I have to stop myself from thinking, oh, I could be I could be doing work right now. I could be being productive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
because that's how you get down the rabbit hole of, of no longer being a person on the other side yeah. of your just a work machine. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I, I think has has been romanticized in some forms of media where it's like, ah, yes, they... The, this, this genius, this this Renaissance painter toiled and toiled and churned out this masterpiece. It's like, yeah, and he was miserable. What's your point? And also probably <laughs> couldn't do that again because burnout compounds. And like yeah. the thing is, you produce better art when you are a healthier person. Um, people have talked about how Van Gogh painted some of his most beautiful works when he was receiving treatment for his mental health issues. Yeah. Like you can't if you're miserable and can't get out of bed, you're not going to create art. You know, like the thing about. Mm. I've talked about this. I have this sort of theory that there's like in in every brain, there's like a little binary variable on whether or not you are an artist. And I I classify art as a huge number of things. And basically it's if you have that itch that like there's something in my brain and I need to get it out and I need to make it out of my head, you're an artist. doesn't matter what it is. You could be baking. You could be building engine blocks. It doesn't matter if you have ideas and you need to get them out of your head. And... I was of the opinion that everybody was like this, but I know some people who aren't. So, you know, <laughs> it's just a thing. Yeah. Some people don't have that that itch, and I kind of envy those people. But, like, I think just at least the way this works in my head is um, the work I do for the channel is a subset of the stuff in my head that needs to get out. Uh, so it doesn't really feel like, oh, I absolutely must maintain this channel. It's like, that's going to happen anyway. I have too many ideas to not do that. Uh, but it'll be like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the work zone, so I'm going to do channel stuff, and I'm going to script, and I'm going to write this other thing, and I'm going to do comic stuff. And it's all in the same space, even though like only a fraction of it is going into the channel. So I guess the fact that we have this audience and this platform is sort of kind of just a, a presence but it's not a presence I think about very much. Again, you know, I probably think about the absence of it more uh, because, like, in hindsight, there's a lot of things that used to stress me out that don't anymore, <laughs> and a lot of that is because, yeah. like, you know, whenever I make a thing and I'm like, I just don't know if anyone's going to see this, it's like, well, that's not a concern <laughs> for me anymore. I posted, like, a couple pieces of fan art on my comic Tumblr the other day, and, like, they people saw him, and it didn't even occur to me that they might not. So, like, that's the level of, like, mm-hmm. there's a level of privilege that this accrues us that I think we'd feel the lack of, but when it's here, you don't really feel the presence of so much. Um, Mm. But having a semi-guaranteed audience for any weird shit we do is pretty good, because, like, we can spitball, like, hey, what if we did, like, a book? Like, what if we did, like, a game? (laughs) And it's just, like, there's no question of, like, nobody's going to see this. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, we could, like, fire up a Kickstarter, see, you know, how many many people of our existing audience would be interested in transferring over. So, you know, we we think about it, but like it doesn't consume our every waking thought, but it's just kind of like a substrate of our lives at this mm-hmm. point, I guess. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you're saying like it's not that the career is defining you, but you as the person make this particular expression of this career possible in in a way. Like it I mean basically, yeah. 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 We're not vessels that exist to to make, you know, red and blue and OSP happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OSP happens because of who we are and what we like to do and make. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've seen some people describe, like, you know, their personas or their careers sort of, like, become, you know, like the Marilyn Monroe thing. Like, once you mm-hmm. embody something, it becomes everything and you sort of just, you become, like, the little mortal propping it up. And it's like, I don't think we're at risk of that because this is just the shit we like doing. It's like, <laughs> look, if I wasn't yeah. making trope talks, I'd just be talking to my friends about this. Just this yeah, stuff. This I was is an gonna say, yeah. <laughs> Like, if I'm bothering my lovely wife about, like, Venice or Rome or some bullshit, is that a work conversation? Is it only a work conversation if I talk about, hours? like, a video? Yeah, so, Do I have you know, to log it's, like, this? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the kind of stuff that, like, it exists anyway in the fabric of our personalities, and mm-hmm. we happen to be able to 
monetize that on a YouTube channel and yeah. trying to find the line between, you know, what parts of this are things that interest us and sustain us and what parts of this are of commercial significance. Yeah. <laughs> Drawing yeah. that line somewhere and being like, you know, I I can talk about Rome in the afternoon and the evening if I want, but like I don't need to make it a business conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't need to think about numbers and stats and stuff. Yeah. But and, if we made know, it a business dinner, hours. we could put it on our taxes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, this is riveting and I... I could I I don't know if it's just me, but this is a person like I love talking about these kinds of like how do you define your career conversations? And maybe that's the latent uh, producer energy. But we do have time for one more question. And I would like to get to it before oh, we no. sign off for the episode. Um, Did we question- only get through like four today? <laughs> <laughs> they were hefty, you know. We really put a lot okay. of weight behind them. Uh, this question comes from Newt's Nature Things. Uh, hello to all. Okay, so we've heard your Batman villain names and crimes you'd commit, but what's your villain origin story? For me, it'd be seeing one too many grass lawns and golf courses and finally snap to the point where I sneak in at night to plant thousands of weeds and tree saplings to restore the ecosystem. So we're, we've, estab- we've established some Batman supervillain personas. Um, but if you, you know, what, what causes you to turn to a life of crime? Uh, what is the inciting incident, the thing that just pushes you over the edge? I, yeah, just I, for I the record, to- uh, I just, uh, seed bombing golf courses doesn't actually work. They already have to load it, like seeds and weeds will grow anywhere <laughs> anyway. So they have to load those places down with so many pesticides and like weed killers that like seed bombing them basically does nothing. There are other ways to make golf courses, not golf courses anymore, but they mostly involve like lobbying local politicians or like bringing up water rights and stuff like that. But I appreciate the vibes. Please go on, Blue. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I think we should recap our villain personas yes. <laughs> um, from like at least 10 episodes ago. It's been a hot uh, minute. Yeah, yeah I, I believe... mine was like a guy who sneaks into museums and steals stuff. You I don't remember what name I would have given myself. You had a very villain thing going on. You both were reclaiming because artifacts from museums. we both wanted to steal stuff from yeah. museums. <laughs> right. Um, um, I believe, Blue, you were more of the like big monologue thinky villain, if I recall correctly. And Red, you were a bit more swashbuckly. Um, yeah, break the skylight, repel yeah, in that yeah, kind of situation. Right. Yeah, but essentially doing mm. the same thing. I'm pretty sure I was uh, like an announcer, basically. You more, like more, followed people around yeah, with a microphone and more like irritating than their lives. <laughs> <laughs> basically just a regular podcaster. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Villain origins. Uh, I think we we ran into the stumbling block of like our superpowers allowed uh, mm. because if they are, you know, villain vibes can be a lot more interesting. Yeah, um, I guess the frame of the question makes me think, like, is there something that you would have observed or seen or experienced that would have tipped you over the scale to villainy more so than, like, did you fall into a vat of ooze? Um, I mean, if, hey, if you want to fall once. into a vat of ooze <laughs> in addition to having a big moment, I, I'm not going to tell you how to, to write your big denouement, but, you know, do, do your thing. I am a fan of the Poison Ivy approach where it's like you're already a sort of like mad botanist and then also you get the powers of a dryad. Like who's going to complain about that? It's like serendipity itself. Like it's awkward if you get powers that don't have anything to do with your general vibe. (laughs) It's like, well, I'm trying to research cryogenics, but now I have like teleportation powers and that just feels thematically inconsistent. Inconsistent, yeah. Yeah. Like I guess I can go to Antarctica and take some readings real quick, but I I don't know how this helps me long term. Yeah, and how am I supposed (laughs) to use this for crime (laughs) yeah oh boy um hmm. well since we both have beef with museums clearly uh and Mm -hmm. like colonialism and such uh perhaps something in that general vein i mean yeah is one of us gonna be like an immortal who was like victimized 
by an empire a long time ago <laughs> and has like some long vendetta. You're saying against... this flew and I feel like you're answering your own question. I like it and I think that's got to be your thing because yeah. okay. I feel like like only someone with all the time in the world would be like, "Well, actually, this vase <laughs> is from the Merovingian dynasty, not that other one they said." Yeah. It's, the only it's like I was actually one of the sculptors who like made the Parthenon marbles. I'm like, you put that fucking shit back in Athens, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I had, uh, I have a character. I don't know if I'm gonna do anything with, but like the vibe is like he's like a vampire who keeps robbing museums, and he he keeps claiming like, oh, I I owned this, like this was my thing, so it's fine. But he's only like 400, <laughs> and the stuff he's stealing <laughs> is definitely not his. That's <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> uh, assuming that everyone is cool with him being a vampire and would have been cool with it if it was actually legally provable. To be his. <laughs> well, you know, if he's in a world where vampires exist anyway, then but presumably... But does everyone else know that? Well, mm. the, not everybody, but, like, presumably it's one of those, like, it would be more defensible if you actually owned <laughs> this locket, but the fact that it predates you by 50 years... No, it's like, th- this character, like, shows up, like, takes the locket, and the guard's like, you obviously can't steal that, and the guy's like, no, 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 wait, and it opens it up and, like, smiles next to it, like, see, look, it's me! It's me! <laughs> I actually really like that. Um, my my vibe was like, oh, this guy like hit the absolute jackpot on vampire powers, like hypnosis vision and like turning into mist and bats and shit like that. So like he'd never be caught. He's just obnoxiously wrong about this. <laughs> anyway, that's got nothing to do with the question. Um, I feel like uh, like my my version has like more of sort of like edgy Lancer energy, presumed mm-hmm, tragic mm-hmm. backstory in there somewhere. So I'm thinking like, who's the who's the fucking Who's the bad guy in Pocahontas? <laughs> you know, the oh, guy with yeah, my, like, my, mine. Yeah, old. Yeah. He's the governor White of something. Man. I feel like the ghost of one of those guys, like, <laughs> <laughs> like showed up and wreaked havoc or something. Uh, and I was like, I'll have my revenge. I'll attack the only thing you care about, possessions. <laughs> um, so... Yeah. yeah, or maybe like some other if, like if we're introducing the concept of immortals into this world, maybe it was one of those guys. Uh Maybe maybe you're a villain protagonist, but the actual like villain antagonist is the for real ghost of Hernan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like visited the Cortez Palace at an early age and I was like such excess built on the ruins of a mighty empire. Fuck this guy. And then from that point forward, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But saying fuck this guy in the Cortez Palace summons his wrathful ghost. Yeah. Uh yeah. So okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This is almost the plot of Jungle Cruise, <laughs> oh, uh, no. which is weird. I haven't Jungle seen Cruise it. Jungle Cruise actually oh. was was weirdly kind of good. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. Getting really back to Jumanji, so. like on a sliding scale of like surprisingly good Jumanji levels or like... Not that good. Not okay. that good. Ah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. I'd see Bullet Train recently. It was pretty fun. Uh, this is not what the topic's about, though. Uh, Podcast. I think I think I think we got something here. I think we yeah, got something. Yeah, yeah. I think this something. is probably getting beyond the scale of like Batman villains. <laughs> yeah, I think we're kind of building out something else. villains at this point. <laughs> Personal the, nemesis like, of plot to the next ghost. old guard movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of I don't know if I would want to be like super powered anyway because I kind of think that there's something inherently hilarious about a person who just like gets really good at roller skating and tries to keep up with people while talking. <laughs> like I just think that that's very funny to me. I have a, I I don't know if it's very obvious. I have a bit of a soft spot for like the really the characters who just have a lot of good tech that they're really cool at using. Um, so probably just someone's like, oh my god, have you heard Joe Rogan a bunch? And then I just snap, and then I'm like, we can do better. <laughs> it's like I know no, really no. good points. Just like absolutely no good points. <laughs> and then I just podcast better than anyone's ever podcasted before. Uh, no, yeah, that sounds honestly probably about right. Or um, I feel like whenever they have like an evil newscaster type, it's always like 
oh, journalistic you know, integrity is failing. <laughs> you have to tell or, the truth. Well, either that or like I'm like an evil journalist yeah. who like doesn't adhere to journalistic integrity. Like I spy on people with my superpowers or whatever. Mm-hmm. That happened in like mm-hmm. Smallville like four different times, I think. Anytime, it's crazy. Well, yeah. When you work in a news office, a lot of your bad guys are going to be affiliated news with the news. Villains. Um, <laughs> I, I like to imagine a version of this character that, like, exists during the Cold War. Because, like, you know, Cold War <laughs> press is the enemy of the state. So, like, you're just, Breaking like, news. in, like, one of the Eastern Bloc countries just, like, roller skating around <laughs> talking about stuff. It's and the, the cops try to chase after you and you just, like, zip element. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I have to be, like, a roller derby star turned podcast. I currently Indigo can't roller skate, so this is sort of uh. aspirational and critical <laughs> to the villain backstory. Is first I have to learn how to roller skate and then the turning point happens, right? Like Okay, so in this version, events. rollerblading star in the Eastern Bloc during uh-huh, the Cold War. Uh-huh, uh, yes. <laughs> name an atrocity. It could have been any of them. And you're like, this cannot stand. This the people have stand. to be informed. And now you're like the podcaster. <laughs> roller skating into the victory. But like, how do you make headset. it from the Cold War to the modern day? I propose frozen like Captain America. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. No notes. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I just roller skate and I can't quite break before I just go straight over the edge. I'm like, I don't know, some. <laughs> Somewhere up north in yeah. Europe, just straight into or the Or, like, ice. You, you, like, skate into, like, the slushy machine in a roller derby place and, like, get, like, <laughs> frozen in a block of ice. And they're, like, yeah. uh, let's just leave it. And then, like, yeah. the place closes down. And then, like, yeah. 40 years in the future. It's, like, the grape-flavored slushy, so no one ever wants to order it. So they never need to refill it. <laughs> Some, <laughs> so like, new check. capitalist, like, BC bro in, like, early 2010s yeah. Russia is, like, oh, let us open up roller rink to have capitalist <laughs> fun times. And then they find you. <laughs> Trout being <laughs> They nice. immediately exile you because you start asking hard questions about their capitalist fun times <laughs> oh, and that's how you get to the u.s hell yeah oh, that sounds right that's right. my true origin perfect all right um, so we got disgruntled immortal pissed off a ghost the most convoluted backstory i've ever heard <laughs> roller skating happy fun times turned podcast vigilante uh, to be fair i think you're the only one approximating the level of complexity of any comic book character at this point <laughs> of like actually, well that was during the dark the ages yeah. when she had spikes on the rollerblades yeah 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 here's obviously. the thing Th- this actually works because indigo your character would have beef with batman being a filthy capitalist your journalism could find out that he's That's bruce wayne true. and you want to take him down because he's a plutocrat he's yeah. bruce wayne but i appreciate all he does for the city so I don't want to just come out and write like an expose so I'm just trying to get everyone to like think about it too much that's why I'm following around all the time you're like wow at the Wayne Gallon Batman got here in seconds what a thrilling <laughs> Um, you you, you guessed on like the butts match podcast. But uses yeah. money for good of state. Mm, something uh, something here to think about. Something rotten <laughs> in the state of I, Gotham. Eh? I guess I would need to have like an Eastern European accent in order to make. You this don't work. have to. It's been a while. Maybe like while you were frozen in the grape uh, like plush uh, slushy. It like my vocal cords. Well, know. we could do all kinds of shit. Maybe you had like psychic communication with like an alien from like the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80s, that's what this backstory you know? needs. More things going. On. <laughs> I'm just trying to approximate the realism of like any of these comic books because at this point That's it's true. like oh this character like it goes from like oh this character like fell in like a freezer and now he walks around in like a walk-in freezer suit and has a cold <laughs> gun to like well you see the the cellular degradation cost him his limbs and body and his head was the only part that remained in a like a little spider bot in a robot suit and then he was destroyed and frozen in a glacier and then frozen unfrozen 50 years in the future when he I was like cloned into a I new body and this is just like one episode every, like, of Batman Beyond. Years. Like it's not that I got frozen the one time. It's just they keep putting me in new locations and it keeps happening again. 
<laughs> that's how oh I just live forever. <laughs> I just flashed back to a video series I haven't thought of in ages and I can't remember the name of, but it was like little animated summaries of like Marvel movies. Like nobody ever talked in them. But the running gag is that every time like Steve Rogers came close to anything cold, he like froze in a glacier again. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, he'd like take a hilarious. little celebratory like think of ice cream, just whoop. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of hilarious, we're 50 episodes in. Red, do you feel prepared to do the uh, outro? I mean, I could, or I could explain more about the flavor profile of I this think, cheese you know, tea. I think, you know, it's very important that we, as a as a podcast, bring it home in the way that we've ended every other episode. Um, Red doing her best. <laughs> you know, Indigo, that's not very bad boy of you to be such a conformist. <laughs> Blue? Oh, God, I will end the sorry. podcast right now. I got so a mouthful. My of hand is over the button. Really you really want to play I, this game? As a bad boy, I dare you. <laughs> as the oh, I. I'd thank you for enjoying this episode and listening along, but that wouldn't be very bad boy of me. The OS Pod will return on September 7th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, feel free to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a lot of cool content and recently just hit 2 million subscribers. Woohoo! Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.